Welcome to the Enchanted Library, where we turn the pages of books, beautiful and old, living and magical. It's time to curl up, get cozy, and join us on an adventure. Today we're reading from Otto of the Silver Hand by Howard Pyle. How the Baron went forth to shear. Baron Conrad and Baroness Matilda sat together at their morning meal. Below their raised seats stretched the long, heavy wooden table loaded with coarse food. Black bread, boiled cabbage, bacon, eggs, a great chine from a wild boar, sausages, such as we eat nowadays, and flagons and jars of beer and wine. Along the board sat ranged in the order of the household the followers and retainers. Four or five slatternly women and girls served the others as they fed noisily at the table, moving here and there behind the men with wooden or pewter dishes of food, now and then laughing at the jests that passed or joining in the talk. A huge fire blazed and crackled and roared in the great open fireplace, before which were stretched two fierce, shaggy, wolfish-looking hounds. Outside, the rain beat upon the roof, or ran trickling from the eaves, and every now and then a chill draught of wind would breathe through the open windows of the great black dining hall and set the fire roaring. Along the dull gray wall of stone hung pieces of armor and swords and lances and great branching antlers of the stag. Overhead arched the rude, heavy oaken beams, blackened with age and smoke, and underfoot was a chill pavement of stone. Upon Baron Conrad's shoulder leaned the pale, slender, yellow-haired baroness, the only one in all the world with whom the fierce lord of Drachenhausen softened to gentleness— the only one upon whom his savage brows looked kindly, and to whom his harsh voice softened with love. The baroness was talking to her husband in a low voice, as he looked down into her pale face with its gentle blue eyes. "'And wilt thou not, then,' said she, "'do that one thing for me?' "'Nay,' he growled in his deep voice, "'I cannot promise thee never more to attack the townspeople in the valley over yonder.' How else could I live if I did not take from the fat town hogs to fill our own larder? Nay, said the baroness, thou couldst live as some others do. All do not rob the burgher folk as thou dost. Alas, mishap will come upon thee some day, if, and if thou should be slain, what then would become of me? Prute, said the baron, thy foolish fears— but he lay his rough hairy hand softly upon the baroness's head and stroked her yellow hair. "'For my sake, Conrad,' whispered the baroness. A pause followed. The baron sat looking thoughtfully down into the baroness's face. A moment more, and he might have promised what she besought. A moment more, and he might have saved all the bitter trouble that was to follow. But it was not to be." Suddenly a harsh sound broke the quietness of all into a confusion of noises. Dong! Dong! It was the great alarm bell from Melchior's tower. The baron started at the sound. He sat for a moment or two with his hand clinched upon the arm of his seat as though about to rise. Then he sunk back into his chair again. All the others had risen tumultuously from the table, 
and now stood looking at him, awaiting his orders. "'For my sake, Conrad,' said the baroness again. "'Dong, dong,' raised the alarm bell. The baron sat with his eyes bent upon the floor, scowling blackly. The baroness took his hand in both of hers. "'For my sake,' she pleaded, and the tears filled her blue eyes as she looked up at him. "'Do not go this time.' From the courtyard without came the sound of horses' hooves clashing against the stone pavement, and those in the hall stood watching and wondering at this strange delay of the Lord Baron. Just then the door opened, and one came pushing past the rest. It was the one-eyed Hans. He came straight to where the Baron sat, and leaning over whispered something into his master's ear. "'For my sake,' implored the Baroness again, but the scale was turned." The baron pushed his chair back heavily and rose to his feet. "'Forward!' he roared, in a voice of thunder, and a great shout went up in answer as he strode clanking down the hall and out of the open door. The baroness covered her face with her hands and wept. "'Never mind, little bird,' said old Ursula, the nurse, soothingly. "'He will come back to thee again, as he has come back to thee before.' But the poor young baroness continued weeping with her face buried in her hands, because he had not done that thing she had asked. A white young face, framed in yellow hair, looked out into the courtyard from a window above. But if Baron Conrad of Drachenhausen saw it from beneath the bars of his shining helmet, he made no sign. "'Forward!' he cried again. Down thundered the drawbridge, and away they rode with clashing hoofs and ringing armor through the gray shroud of drilling rain. The day had passed, and the evening had come, and the baroness and her women sat beside a roaring fire. All were chattering and talking and laughing, but two, the fair young baroness and old Ursula. The one sat listening, listening, listening. The other sat with her chin resting in the palm of her hand, silently watching her young mistress. The night was falling gray and chill, when suddenly the clear notes of a bugle rang from without the castle walls. The young baroness started, and the rosy light flashed up into her pale cheeks. "'Yes, good,' said old Ursula. "'The red fox has come back to his den again, and I warrant he brings a fat town goose in his mouth. Now we'll have fine clothes to wear, and thou another gold chain to hang about thy pretty neck.' The young baroness laughed merrily at the old woman's speech. "'This time,' said she, "'I will choose a string of pearls, like the one my aunt used to wear, and which I had about my neck when Conrad first saw me.' Minute after minute passed. The baroness sat nervously, playing with a bracelet of golden beads about her wrist. "'How long he stays,' said she. "'Yes,' said Ursula, "'but it is not Cousin Wish that holds him by the coat.' As she spoke, a door banged in the passageway without, and the ring of iron footsteps sounded upon the stone floor. Clank, clank, clank. The baroness rose to her feet, her face all alight. The door opened. Then the flush of joy faded away, and the face grew white, white, white. One hand clutched the back of the bench whereon she had been sitting. The other hand pressed tightly against her side. It was Hans, the one-eyed, who stood in the doorway and black trouble sat on his brow. All were looking at him, waiting. "'Conrad,' whispered the baroness at last, "'where is Conrad? Where is your master?' And even her lips were white as she spoke. The one-eyed Hans said nothing. 
Just then came the noise of men's voices in the corridor, and the shuffle and scuffle of feet carrying a heavy load. Nearer and nearer they came, and one-eyed Hans stood aside. Six men came struggling through the doorway, carrying a litter, and on the litter lay the great Baron Conrad. The flaming torch thrust in the iron bracket against the wall flashed up with the draught of air from the open door, and the light fell upon the white face and the closed eyes, and showed upon his body armor a great red stain that was not the stain of rust. Suddenly Ursula cried out in a sharp, shrill voice, "'Catch her! She falls!' It was the Baroness. Then the old crone turned fiercely upon the one-eyed Hans. "'Thou fool!' she cried. "'Why didst thou bring him here? Thou hast killed thy lady!' "'I did not know,' said the one-eyed Hans, stupidly. How the Baron Came Home Shorn But Baron Conrad was not dead. For days he lay upon his hard bed, now muttering incoherent words beneath his red beard, now raving fiercely with the fever of his wound. But one day he woke again to the things about him. He turned his head first to the one side, and then to the other. There sat Schwartz Karl and the one-eyed Hans. Two or three other retainers stood by a great window that looked out into the courtyard beneath, jesting and laughing together in low tones, and one lay upon the heavy oaken bench that stood along by the wall, snoring in his sleep. "'Where is your lady?' said the baron presently. "'And why is she not with me at this time?' The man that lay upon the bench started up at the sound of his voice, and those at the window came hurrying to his bedside. But Schwartz Karl and the one-eyed Hans looked at one another, and neither of them spoke. The baron saw the look, and in it read a certain meaning that brought him to his elbow, though only to sink back upon his pillow again with a groan. "'Why do you not answer me?' said he at last, in a hollow voice. And then to the one-eyed Hans, "'Hast thou no tongue, fool, that thou standst gaping there like a fish? Answer me, where is thy mistress?' Uh, "'I do not know,' stammered poor Hans. For a while the baron lay silently, looking from one face to the other. Then he spoke again. "'How long have I been lying here?' said he. "'A sennight, my lord,' said Master Rudolph the steward, who had come into the room, and who now stood among the others at the bedside. "'A sennight,' repeated the baron in a low voice. And then to the Master Rudolph, and has the baroness often been beside me at that time? Master Rudolph hesitated. Answer me, said the baron harshly. Not, not often, said Master Rudolph hesitatingly. The baron lay silent for a long time. At last he passed his hands over his face and held them there for a minute. Then of a sudden, before anyone knew what he was about to do, he rose upon his elbow and then sat upright upon the bed. The green wound broke out afresh, and a dark red spot grew and spread upon the linen wrappings. His face was drawn and haggard with the pain of his moving, and his eyes wild and bloodshot. Great drops of sweat gathered and stood upon his forehead, as he sat there, swaying slightly from side to side. "'My shoes,' said he, hoarsely. Master Rudolph stepped forward. "'But, my lord baron,' he began, and then stopped short, for the baron shot him such a look that his tongue stood still in his head. Hans saw that look out of his one eye. 
Down he dropped upon his knees, and fumbling under the bed, brought forth a pair of soft leathern shoes, which he slipped upon the baron's feet, and then laced the thongs above the instep. "'Your shoulder,' said the baron. He rose slowly to his feet, gripping Hans in the stress of his agony, until the fellow winced again. For a moment he stood as though gathering strength, then doggedly started forth upon that quest that he had set upon himself. At the door he stopped for a moment, as though overcome by his weakness, and there Master Nicholas, his cousin, met him, for the steward had sent one of the retainers to tell the old man what the baron was about to do. "'Thou must go back again, Conrad,' said Master Nicholas. "'Thou art not fit to be abroad.' The baron answered him never a word, but he glared at him from out of his bloodshot eyes and ground his teeth together. Then he started forth again upon his way. Down the long hall he went, slowly and laboriously, the others following silently behind him, then up the steep winding stairs, step by step, now and then stopping to lean against the wall. So he reached a long and gloomy passageway lit only by the light of a little window at the further end. He stopped at the door of one of the rooms that opened into this passageway, stood for a moment, then he pushed it open. No one was within but old Ursula, who sat crooning over a fire with a bundle upon her knees. She did not see the baron or know that he was there. "'Where is your lady?' said he in a hollow voice. Then the old nurse looked up with a start. "'Jesus, bless us!' cried she, and crossed herself. "'Where is your lady?' asked the baron again in the same hoarse voice, and then, not waiting for an answer, "'Is she dead?' The old woman looked at him for a minute, blinking her watery eyes, then suddenly broke into a shrill, long-drawn wail. The baron needed to hear no more. As though in answer to the old woman's cry, a thin, piping complaint came from the bundle in her lap. At the sound, the red blood flashed up into the baron's face. "'What is that you have there?' said he, pointing at the bundle upon the old woman's knees." She drew back the coverings, and there lay a poor, weak little baby that once again raised its faint, reedy pipe. "'It is your son,' said Ursula, "'that the dear Baroness left behind her when the holy angels took her to paradise. She blessed him and called him Otto before she left us.'" Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and share our podcast with a friend. Stay connected by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash enchantedlibrary. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash enchantedlibrary. We appreciate your support. Until next time, friends, happy reading.